Everybody, this is Dr. Andy Wilzak, and this is the second episode of Untenured Tracks. This week, we're talking to Dr. Mike Davis. Dr. Davis is an assistant professor of history at Hampton University, and he's in the process of working on a biography of Edgar Casey called New Age Prophet. We talk about Casey's legacy, Casey's work. It's really fascinating stuff. So, I hope you enjoy the show. My main project right now is writing the first scholarly biography of Edgar Cayce. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cayce is uh, sometimes called the world's greatest psychic or the father of holistic medicine, kind of writing about him as this kind of in-between figure in the history of American spirituality, because he's got one foot in this kind of 19th century Christian mysticism and the other foot in this kind of 20th century new thought, then new age movement, which he's going to be kind of a a, a godfather of, even though he dies in uh, 1945 in Virginia Beach. Okay. Um, How did you get interested in in studying the new age? I mean, I have to admit, it's, it's not something that I've ever even really thought about as like a scholarly subject before. Well, I've always been kind of interested in looking at uh, esoteric topics. Mm-hmm. Like my dissertation uh, was about the history of anti-masonry in the United States. Really? I, and, <laughs> we'll have to talk about that, too, once we get more into Casey. Oh, sure. Well, and uh, I, I got this job at Hampton uh, last year. And I did some hard thinking about, okay, what would be an interesting research subject that is within a, you know, an hour's driving distance from where I live? <laughs> and I thought, oh, here is Edgar Casey, who you know, lived in Virginia Beach for 20 years, and all of his papers from his kind of youthful memories of rural Kentucky through the time he tried to douse in Texas in the 20s this kind of early um, alternative medicine slash spirituality stuff is right to hand. So is there like a like a Casey library or something like that where you've been able to get access oh. to all of his work? Oh, yes. Uh, case, the, what's in Virginia Beach right now is called the Association for Research and Enlightenment. It is kind of the, 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 they don't really like to use to use this particular phrase, but they're the folks continuing kind of the gospel of Casey. Okay. And the, uh, the, the association itself has a very nice esoteric library. Like if you 
or anyone has a scholarly interest in you know, Atlantis mythology and UFO mythology and all kinds of new thought, you know, theosophical stuff. They have one of the biggest archives I've ever professionally worked in. And they also have all of the papers of Casey personally, as well as those of the folks who kind of followed him with his various uh, his, his various groups uh, in the 20s, 30s, 40s, and beyond. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, how, or rather, why you see Casey uh, get involved with stuff like this association is he got in some legal trouble in his lifetime for doing things like uh, practicing medicine without a license or fortune-telling, because those things were violations of uh, various state laws in, like, Michigan and uh, New York. So can I I ask, can I interrupt real quick? Just I'm I'm curious about... Like, why was fortune telling considered illegal? Like, why was that? Why was that made a crime? It was considered fraud. Okay. Yeah, uh, and it, that's I don't remember the case of it off the top of my head, but mm-hmm. it's usually given in people talking about the history of the Enlightenment mm-hmm. in Britain, where these laws come from. It's usually seen as kind of a sign of this shift to rationalism in the 18th century that. That they stop trying witches under anti-witchcraft laws and start trying them as uh, as frauds, basically. Okay, that's interesting. But uh, the the Casey folks had found that okay, that stuff is illegal, but it's not illegal to conduct psychic research. So in uh, the twenties, they get together with the uh, association of they call the. Association of National Investigators, which lets the Casey kind of do his thing of uh, uh, having visions and prophesying and doing his kind of alternative medicine stuff, and nobody gets in trouble with the law. Okay. Clever. Very clever. not actually... For his services, he's getting paid by this association, which, by the way, you are. If you want a reading from him, you're supposed to join. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, how about can you tell us um, some of uh, the background of Casey? So, I mean, you've you've alluded to some of the different things that he was involved in, and he he kind of bounces around from one one thing to another. So, how about we start at the beginning? Like, what is I guess Casey's professional career <laughs> look like. Like, how does he start? What's his story? Well, uh, the, our story begins in uh, Christian County, Kentucky, in the 1870s. Uh, that's where Casey is born. Uh, he, his father, uh, is a the son of kind of a local. Not quite aristocrat, but definitely one of the more successful farmers in the area. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the 1870s and the decades that follow are uh, really difficult economic times for 
the tobacco farmers mm-hmm. in western Kentucky. The prices are wildly unstable. The uh, Duke monopoly is coming in, and it's kind of undercutting a lot of the independent farmers. Uh, Casey's father, Leslie, uh, fails repeatedly at being an independent farmer and being a businessman. Uh, They wind up as uh, being tenants on his first his grandfather's land, then his uncle's land. And so Edgar is kind of growing up in this period of instability when the world around him is kind of falling in, essentially. Mm-hmm. And from an early age, he has uh, visions. Uh, he talks about playing with the little people uh, around the some of the little kind of farmsteads where they live. Uh, he'll claim um, as, a, as a teenager to have gotten a, a vision of uh, you know, a, a, a a light coming to him. Uh, as you can imagine, why this stuff is happening is a pretty significant subject of debate, uh, depending on your views of Casey's veracity. Mm-hmm. Uh, I personally am inclined to say that, well, he probably is having some kind of visions uh if you look at his personal medical history, he has several uh, brain injuries as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a family where he had, you know, uh, relatives who were kept uh, in the attic of the house because they had mental problems. And what's interesting is that Casey is having these visions, but he after his early teens or so, he keeps them to himself because his family is trying very hard to be respectable. They move into the county seat, which is Hopkinsville, Kentucky. Uh, Edgar, as a teenager, gets a job working at a local bookstore. And they are good, respectable disciples of Christ, churchgoers. Edgar is very, very active in his local church. He reads the King James Bible uh, once a year for most of his life. And good, respectable whites, the Disciples of Christ members, do not have visions Mm. in Hopkins in the 1890s. So Edgar stops talking about it. Hmm. Uh, That was one of the interesting things to find, is Edgar remembering... Uh, being told by a girl he was courting that you, know, you can't be having these visions, in his words, that's what colored people do. Mm-hmm. And so he starts keeping that to himself and winds up in Hopkinsville as a teenager. Uh, his father is still failing at business. Edgar is really supporting his family through his work in this town bookstore. And here you have this guy who was, as a young person, is reading every book he can get his hands on. He's very interested in kind of going to college, maybe, and becoming a minister, because the disciples are a denomination where you 
you really have to go to college if you want to be a minister. And he's working in this bookstore, which is selling books to the young people going to college in Hopkinsville, but he can't afford to go there himself. And around the turn of the century, around 1901, uh, Casey has, well, it's one of those things where something happens to him, uh, psychological or physical, where he loses his voice. It's about the time that his father has made him quit his job to go sell insurance with him, uh, which I think might be why his, his, his voice fades out of this time. <laughs> this is inconvenient. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so there's no interesting kind of psychological uh, ailment. And then a hypnotist comes to town and hypnotizes Casey, and he uh, is mutinous is cured. Uh, then he starts... Uh, being able to go into a trance and make uh, psychic diagnoses of people's illnesses. Uh, this is while he's working as a photographer, by the way, in Hopkinsville. And he is a reasonable success as a photographer in town. He becomes kind of a local celebrity. Uh, he gets some boosters writing to national medical journals on his behalf. Um, he'll live in Bowling Green, Kentucky for a while. Uh, actually, it's the subject of a church trial because he uh, is, well, they, they, he's telling fortunes and teaching Sunday school, and you're no, not supposed to do that. Uh, by, let's see, I'm just making sure I'm, Oh, he gets married, uh, marries a woman named Gertrude Evans, uh, who is comes from a much more successful family than uh, than, he, than his, by the way. So he has to court her for about six years before his fa her father gives her permission to get married. Um, he lives in Bowling Green. He's there about 1902. Uh, he there's various business relationships and conflicts he has with uh, homeopaths and other alternative physicians in Kentucky. Around 1912, he moves to uh, uh, Selma, Alabama, uh, where he continues uh, giving visions and doing medical diagnoses. Uh, he invents a board game while he's there. It's called Pit. It's a card game based on commodities trading at the Chicago Board of Trade. So he's a, <laughs> he's a guy with a lot of depth, much more than the kind of... Uh, well, Casey is, well, I'll quote, character that he presents himself as is mm -hmm. always the kind of, well, uneducated, good old boy type. But uh, they, there's a lot more to him than the, just the, the, the son of tobacco farmers. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he's, so he's clearly a very intelligent man. Oh, yeah. So he's in Selma, and he's in Selma right around the time the bull weevil epidemic is hitting. So the economy there is crashing, too. More and more people are coming to him for medical diagnoses. He's a national celebrity. Uh, he tries 
uh, dousing for oil in the 20s in Texas. Uh, that's, that's a bust, unfortunately. Uh, he goes up to Dayton, Ohio in 1923. He gets kind of a, a wealthy business contact from a guy named Arthur Lammers. Mm-hmm. And it's, when he's up in Dayton, the Casey uh, really starts engaging a lot more with the broader kind of esoteric movement of the 20th century. He starts talking about uh, 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 reincarnation and astrology and Atlantis and uh, the, the Dayton also winds up being a bust. The guy who was his financial backer loses all of his money. Uh, no, Casey at this point is in his mid forties. You know, his kids mm-hmm. are in their late teens. Uh, he winds up going out to Virginia Beach in 1925, and that's really where he has a success. He spends the next 20 years there. Uh, having visions, building this uh, association of investigators around him. Uh, His first uh, biography by a guy named Thomas Sugru uh, called There is a River is published in the mid-40s. Casey himself dies in 1945, really kind of of overwork. Mm -hmm. And... uh, He's a name in kind of the the esoteric movement for a while. What really helps him take off and become a household name actually happens after his death, when you get the search for Bridie Murphy published in the 50s, when you get kind of the rise of the New Age movement in the 60s and 70s. And he really becomes kind of a fixture in the New Age slash alternative religion slash alternative medicine movement and you know people are still uh buying books based on his readings uh they're still coming to the association for research and enlightenment uh it's really quite fascinating so if you compare him to somebody like joseph smith or ellen g white who have somewhat similar stories he writes much, much more than either of them do. Uh, a lot more people you know, engage with his writing in terms of sales, but he has never really been a subject of major scholarly attention before. Mm-hmm. All of the stuff about Casey is either, oh, he's this enlightened sage and scholar, or you know, sage and healer, or, oh, he's a terrible con artist and fraud. So here's our evidence for that. Mm-hmm. And I just like to say the biography is not really aimed at proving or disproving him. I mean, uh, if you were writing a biography of Joseph Smith, I, I don't think you'd spend a lot of time trying to decide if the angels were real. So yeah. Not really to his story. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me, um, I've taught Sociology of Deviance before, and when I've taught that class, there's a, a reading that I, I really enjoy, and I, I'm i blanking on it off the top of my head. I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes for the episode. But um, basically, it's a study of people who think they're abducted by aliens, 
right? And so the the study goes into like the narratives that these people construct around their abductions, and it's less so obviously about trying to prove or disprove whether or not any of this actually happened. Like what matters is that they are convinced, <laughs> wholly convinced that you know this abduction happened to them, and so trying to find those narratives there. That's what it reminds me of. Like there's no point really, I think, for somebody who is as well traveled and and kind of a I hate to say like a jack of all trades, <laughs> like a jack of all odd trades um, that he was. Like, there's no point I think in trying to debunk anything. It's just that this is what this guy did. If that makes any sense. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I I I, I think I said somewhere in my, my book proposal about Casey that you no, know, he sometimes is called the the world's greatest psychic or America's greatest psychic and. That's true whether or not you think psychic powers actually are real. It's yeah. just a question of the, the impact and the, he had and then people turning to him, uh, which, like I said, people are are still doing. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if you just sit down and Google the name Edgar Casey, you can find yourself on some interesting websites. <laughs> yeah, that's a... Uh... Part of my plan for tonight <laughs> is to oh. to see what I can what I can dig up um, about this. Oh. So you had mentioned that um, prior to his kind of taking off, that he he got into some kind of conflict or some kind of fights with people who are doing like homeopathic medicine and things like that. So like, what does that look like? Why does that why does that happen? Is it because they're like they're competing for the same clients and the same customer base, or is it the homeopaths might be um, a little bit more inclined to be fraudulent and are are mad at Casey about that? Like, why why do those fights happen? If you know, well, reading between the lines, it seems to be a question of you know, who is benefiting from Casey's work. That uh, he is. Uh, well, always claims at least to not want to make a profit off what he himself is doing. Uh, but when when his quote unquote discoverers try and make a profit off of his work, uh-huh. uh, that is something he always has a very strong negative reaction to. Hmm. Like he, even his father will try and get Edgar to essentially tell him what ponies to bet on, you know, uh-huh. and track and what business investments to make. And Edgar always has a, a, a tough time with that. It, it's hard to get a feel for the what the relationship is uh, because you know, the only accounts we have are from, you know, Casey and his circle mm-hmm. of these business transactions. But it seems to be a case of, okay, this is happening. Where is the money going? Who's getting credit for it? What use is it? Does it have? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, part of, you know, again, what I'm doing with Casey is also trying to see him as a, as a religious figure. Mm-hmm. And Casey always, even when he's do- writing about really esoteric stuff, is always in some ways a very you know, almost conventional uh, you know, Southern uh, white Protestant born in the 1870s. 
So he will keep going to um, first the Disciples of Christ churches, then he goes to a Presbyterian church here in Hampton Roads. He'll keep teaching Sunday school, uh, even when he'll be uh, uh, talking about uh, you know, reincarnation and, and such. There's a great bit in his his son, who kind of inherits the, the family business, mm-hmm. is named uh, Hugh Lynn Casey. And Hugh has a, has a ghost-written biography called About My Father's Business, which mm-hmm. is an interesting title. And anyway, Hugh will remember uh, that being told by his father that he, Hugh, was a reincarnation of one of Jesus' disciples. And Hugh being really embarrassed by this and asking him to please not tell anyone at their church about that uh, because he felt that would be, be embarrassing for them in this kind of you know, southeastern. Dad, stop it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so that was that was part of my next question was like how did he how did he reconcile this stuff in his life was he did he just or didn't he just never do that you know what i mean like did he was he so compartmentalized or how did he how did he deal with this his his beliefs uh are always going to have a strong kind of protestant christian uh uh flavor to them but he'll take them in interesting directions. Like mm-hmm. he'll talk about the, the, the past incarnations of Jesus and uh, that kind of thing. And we'll always somewhat uneasily kind of straddle these two worlds. Like he will talk about how he had initially been uncomfortable with visions of reincarnation. Uh, because that wasn't compatible with what he had learned about religion. Mm-hmm. But um, he'll eventually kind of have this, he's kind of a precursor, not quite to universalism, but to the kind of more ecumenical or more spiritual Christianity of mm-hmm. the late 20th century. Like the, the ARE, only in the last 10 years took the cross off of their their symbol. Mm-hmm. They used to be kind of one of the, their logos. Hmm. Okay. So my next question, and I, I don't know if if you can answer this, and it's totally fine. Um, so how did he... How do I want to say this? Did he ever talk about like any kind of visions that he saw in terms of like contemporary politics or global politics or things like that. So I'm thinking like he, he has so like good faith. Let's say he really, all of this is true and he's living through world war one, right. And the, and the rise of national socialism in Europe. Did he ever write about any of that or, or no? Oh, he did. Uh, the way Casey did his stuff, is he would, he, he's sometimes called the sleeping prophet. Mm-hmm. He would get these letters uh, with people you know, asking for information. He would lie down, go into a trance, and dictate stuff to his 
longtime uh, secretary. Mm-hmm. She would write it down shorthand, and then it would be translated out into into text. And he did uh, talk about the world issues a lot. Um, so is some of his predictions you know, have not, not necessarily held up. Like he thought World War II would be over in about 18 months. Mm-hmm. Uh, he predicted that uh, Burton K. Wheeler would succeed FDR as president. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he, like a lot of people in his profession, his predictions tended to be pretty... Uh, pretty hedged, like saying that, well, Burton K. Wheeler can become president if that's what he wants. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, but you know, he was definitely focused on the world around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd argue that one of the big boosts he gets is the depression. Mm-hmm. You know, in the third, you get a lot of people looking for, you know, new kinds of spirituality, new yeah. ways of knowing, newness, because the old systems are kind of falling apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he... Oh, no, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say it, because I've been learning a lot about the early 20th century, but, you know, history of religion is not anything that I'm familiar with at all. And so I've been reading about, like, the assassination of President McKinley and... um you know, the rise and fall and rise of like anarchism in the United States and, um, things like that. So trying to, and and how all of that too has been tied to, you know, smaller depressions leading up to the great depression is like labor and capital did their thing. And so like, I can completely see how Casey would have a, like an attraction to him to like pull people into his orbit because there was so much suffering, even in the run up to the great depression, the, the roaring twenties, you know, we're only roaring for so many people, right? Absolutely. Um, so that I mean that's that's interesting. So, um, I think the the last thing that I, I have to ask you about, and I think I'd be doing everybody a disservice if we didn't talk about this. Um, you had mentioned that Casey had thoughts or ideas about Atlantis. Um, could you expand on that a little bit? Well, uh, I, I'll see. When we talk about Casey and Atlantis, it's a, an interesting topic. Uh, I'm going to try and summarize something. Is it's hard to to sum up what Casey said because he had this really prodigious output over twenty some years. Uh, I think uh, something like. Uh, I can't even can't remember off the top of my head, but he, he wrote a lot more than almost any other American religious leader. It, mm-hmm. it still shelf, shelf after shelf in his library. But uh, he kind of saw Atlantis a lot like his fellow theosophist, uh, probably mm-hmm. butchering that. But, uh, <laughs> he saw it... Uh, same way that somebody like uh, Blavatsky did as this kind of ancient uh, civilization that had fallen. Uh, For example, uh, Casey uh, was what's called a a polygenist. Uh, He thought that uh, multiple human races had been created separately but simultaneously uh, on Earth. 
Um, for example, he said stuff like the, uh, the uh, well, as he put it, the red race developed in Atlantis. Uh, he talked a lot about uh, the, the, the Atlanteans mastering solar power and uh, crystal power. Uh, a lot of, if you think of modern day, well, I guess not really modern day anymore, but if you think about uh, a vision of Atlantis from maybe the, the pseudoscience of the early uh, 70s, uh, that's uh, Casey. Okay. Uh, the, the, uh, the, the crystal power and crystal towers and that kind of thing. Uh, and the Avery, well, is, I'm just checking the website as we talk, just to confirm my memory, um, that uh, they still will sponsor investigations in the Atlantic. Uh, he saw Atlantis as having collapsed about uh, 10,000 uh, years before Christ. These. Uh, like I said, he's really responsible for a lot of the kind of um, pseudoscience or alternative perspectives about the so-called uh, lost continent. He's one of the people who moves it from being a kind of uh, 19th century idea to a, uh, a 20th century idea, that it was this civilization superior to our own that fell and we can learn something from their from their fall uh that they had the crystal power and crystal magic as i kind of mentioned earlier mm -hmm. um he saw it as kind of this ancestral civilization to our own it's actually a project i'm thinking of doing after this biography is talking about the history of Atlantis mythology and how uh, you know Casey and others well, I, I kind of almost use it as a, a, a secular apocalypse that you know, was this lost golden age and here's what we can learn about what led them to fall and what does that teach us as inhabitants of an advanced civilization today. Yeah, that's really interesting. Like, I've never, as you're talking, I, I was kind of wondering, you know, what's the origin of the Atlantis myth, and and what purpose would it have had? And I think you're you're absolutely right. It, you know, it's a, a doomsday scenario um, that probably also functioned as a, as a cautionary tale, right? Like, let's not get um what sort i'm looking for let's not get caught up in our own hubris <laughs> right and how yeah. how amazing we are because we too could sink into the the depths of the ocean never to return yes it's very much a a, a, a almost a tower of babel story yeah. without needing to have a particular religious perspective yeah and uh let's see i'm trying to make another thought, thought i was but uh for me, what kind of underpins a lot of Casey is kind of getting back to this theme of apocalypse mm -hmm. is that he is somebody who lives through a lot of small scale apocalypses. Yeah. I mean, he 
grows up in Christian County at the time that the the economy is collapsing. It falls especially hard on his family. Uh, he, you know, in his 30s, moves to Selma right about the time the bull weasel epidemic is hitting. So that world is collapsing. Uh, it's, I think, really one of the things that drives his interest in writing about, you know, things beyond the conventional, whether it's esoteric Christianity or New Age visions of Atlantis, all the way through the Great Depression and World War II. Mm -hmm. But he's really a product of both locally and nationally, a society Mm -hmm. that's going through this really rough transition through it from agriculture, through industry, into modernity, and he is looking beyond that society and embracing this kind of broad vision of the the reincarnation and past, visions of an esoteric past and an enlightened future. This sounds like an incredible project. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's gotta be, it's gotta be so much fun to, to have something that's so, so offbeat and unusual um, as your, as your primary subject. Um, I'm really excited to read this when it comes out. Yes. I've, I've actually, I've got an advanced contract signed. So uh, I'm going to be giving uh, the University of Alabama my uh, manuscript copy in the middle of 2021. Fantastic. Well, good luck with that. Um, Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thanks so much for talking to me. I, 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 I...